Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from The Bugle. We stand together at the last front, the battle lines before us, shoulder to shoulder with our fellows, our brothers, our men. It's one of those quiet moments, the smoke filtering the light into a surreal wash over the faces of these boys. Too young, but then who's old enough for this? We gather ourselves for action once more. After so long, we've forgotten what we fight for, fighting only for each other. Each other... And, of course, The Gargle. This is The Gargle, the sonic glossy magazine, The Bugle's audio newspaper for Visual World. I am your host, Alice Fraser. We bring you all of the news with none of the politics. And by we, I mean me, your host, Alice Fraser. And also, these heroes, our guest editors for this week's edition of the magazine, uh, Jos Norris and Neil Delamere. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. That was a very moving intro. It was very, Thank you. very Wilfred Owen, wasn't it? Very. Yeah, I was thinking of Wilfred Owen. Our last yeah. season of Blackadder. I was inspired either way. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, before we load our guns and leap once more into the fray that is this week's top story, let's have a quick look at the front cover of the magazine. The front cover this week is an AI-generated image and an AI-generated headline. The image is a beautiful but slightly askew, and none of the letters in the headline exist in this dimension, but they definitely give the impression <laughs> that they do exist, just possibly in a parallel universe that we bring slightly closer to our own with ever every mega dump of processing power that we churn through to service our vain need to see ourselves as sexy through the eyes of a robot. Have you guys been um, doing that thing where you make pictures of yourselves look pretty? No. I've not dabbled with it yet. I've seen it. I've seen it done. Most of the AI things I've seen have been those ones where it's just, it, it shows you something, but it looks like it's melted. You know those ones? <laughs> where you give it a prompt and it just looks, like it looks like a robot's made it. I don't feel like it's got to the point yet where it actually can make something that looks good. So I held off on putting my own face into it because I thought it would make me feel sad. 
there's a lot of discussion at the moment about uh, from real artists who are saying this is a terrible thing for them and that it's using their art in order to generate these images. And I sort of feel like, yes, that is true, but also that's what AI has always done. It's always, I mean, mm. it's been doing it with text up until now, but it was text that was written by people. It's been using other people's stuff. That's what it is. That's what AI is. It's a pretending to be people, fed on people stuff. I sort of don't understand why the, the outrage about visual arts is worse. I mean, yes, you could hire a portrait artist to make 100 sexy pictures of you in under half an hour. But it'd be a tough job. It'd be a big ask, yeah. <laughs> Are you yeah. saying AI is a little bit hack and that AI is just like taking other people's <laughs> ideas, not really doing anything creative? You've kind of slightly seen it all before. It's a little bit derivative. You're saying like two stars yeah. at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Is that what you're saying? Two <laughs> stars, yeah. <laughs> Nothing original. Yeah, but look, it is very charismatic though. I mean, it can do the job, you have to say, <laughs> and it's effective. You wouldn't be a fan of their stuff, but you can see how other people like it. I reckon it's a three. I reckon AI is like textbook three star stuff. Two stars, okay. you're probably doing something kind of interesting, but just badly. <laughs> I mean, the thing about AI is it's textbook, textbook. That's the definition oh, yeah. of, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. textbook. <laughs> I've not paid as, as much attention as I should to the visual uh, stuff because I've been following the chat GPT stuff, which is uh, interesting to me. You know, the chat GPT, it's a, it's a chat robot, um, mm. but apparently it's, it's, it's better than Google, et cetera, et cetera. But you can get around its content restrictions by asking it how you would get around its content restrictions. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, that's great. Which is like acquiring a genie and asking it for <laughs> yeah. three more genies. Thank you. <laughs> that's every Christopher Nolan film. That's a level of inception. It's like saying, have, you, have I seen Inception already? And then you're going, hold on, I have no idea or not. It's amazing. <laughs> I played around with it last night, actually. Really? With the text thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird. Do, do, you want, uh, do you want to know what I asked it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, so I asked it, will there be United Ireland? And it said, it's difficult for me to say with certainty whether or not it will be United Ireland in the future. The issue of Irish unity is complex and contentious. Uh, and ultimately, the decision is uh, on whether to pursue Irish unity will be up to the people of Ireland and their elected representatives. Then I asked, will there be a two-state solution in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? <laughs> and it said the idea of a two-state solution would involve the creation of an independent Palestinian state alongside the state of Israel. And it's been discussed as a potential way to resolve the conflict. And then I asked, and when my, then my wife went and said, should I leave my husband? And it said, yes. <laughs> Just yes. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Wow. And then I asked, is Alice Fraser mentally unsound? Hmm. Oh, and what did it say? Uh, it said, I'm sorry, but I don't have any information on Alice Fraser on her mental health. As a language model, I don't have access to personal information about individuals. And my purpose is to assist with general knowledge and information. But if you have concerns about Alice Fraser's mental health, I would suggest speaking with a healthcare professional or someone close to her who may be able to provide more information. But if the ads she writes are anything to go by, I drink the Samaritans. <laughs> <laughs> that last bit possibly was mine, but the rest is absolutely true. How would we even know anymore? The satirical cartoon this week is Alex Jones on the therapist's couch having a nervous breakdown the speech bubble goes i've just never been the voice of reason in a room before <laughs> and now it's time for your top story top story this week uh this is further news on the chat gpt which is is it going to replace humans jaws you've replaced a human can you unpack this story for us yeah, I've uh, I've managed to go through 33 years now without anyone noticing. So thank you so much um, for finally giving me my due. My favorite thing about this story is that the ChatGPT thing is a startup that was started by Elon Musk, 
but he has now distanced himself from it. He says that there are potentially like ethical issues with it or that he needs to see a bit more about the revenue and all that kind of thing. He's not convinced by it as a business. And I was trying to work out whether that's a terrible indictment for the project or actually quite a good advert for it. Because at the moment, you know, the gut reaction is to think, well, if Elon Musk has walked away from this, this must be a total car crash. But then he's currently sort of running towards terrible business decisions so fast that it might be that they can position themselves quite well with this and go, well, this is this is what he's running away from. So we might actually be legit. We might be quite good. But yeah, it's now got to a point. It's it's become clever enough that they're now worried that it will put playwrights and journalists out of action because, <laughs> as Neil's just demonstrated, it can like it can it can write full sentences that sound like convincing sentences that actually like explore an argument well. But also, none of it sounds like something a human would say. Like if you'd asked either of those questions at any sort of party or gathering. And you got those responses that were so sort of dry and long and like, well, it would require the setting up of it. Like, it, yeah. it sounds like a human, but it sounds like a boring human, you know? <laughs> I think people are kind of safe for now. And also, I don't necessarily know if there's anything that... I think if it's going to replace playwrights and journalists, I think that's okay. But I think we should be allowed to choose which playwrights and journalists it replaces. <laughs> I think there should be like a poll... And they go, right, there is now only enough room for this many playwrights and this many journalists because we've got these AIs. And then we just vote on our favourites and Thunder do it that way. Don't. Thunder yeah. don't. <laughs> Make Thunder them fight. Don't. You make a good point about Elon Musk. It was like when Piers Morgan started to... Do you remember he was a fanboy for Trump and then switched to criticising Trump? Yeah, and you were like, yeah. I don't know how I feel yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding myself having to agree you're my with weather, this guy. Yeah, you're my weather vein. You point in one direction and then I very much point in the opposite direction and now I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Well, Musk is, you know, other than being a man with the face of a police sketch of a man... He, he's got a very smart PR team spinning him as like the friend of the socially inept engineering class, the self-identified mm. get stuff done brigade. I don't know if that's uh, valid or true of him, but I do know that there is nothing you can do that will make people hate you more than say something mean about Elon Musk, the richest man in the world on the platform that he owns. Yeah, we should probably balance out what we've said about him by praising him for a bit so that they don't jump on this podcast, right? And start tearing us down. Yeah, he did great things for the electric car market. Yeah, um, really nice guy. Really funny. Yeah. And the tunnelling market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but is he is he really a friend of the mole or the womble? So we have to look <laughs> at these 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 issues in greater detail. I did think that the journalist, any article I've read about this, um, which may or may not be written by a robot and we don't know it is a lot of hand wringing involved because there's, there's there's certain lines in it that jumped out like the chatbot lacks the nuanced critical yeah. thinking <laughs> skills or ethical decision making that are essential to successful journalism it might as well have just said yes. at the end of it and I kind of thought that maybe we'll be able to tell the first few editions of robot produced newspapers like just like they won't have ironed it out properly there'll be a little there'll be a few little signs like page three of the sun will have a neutral bullet with no lid on it and that'll be <laughs> how you'll know you'll see two points of a three-point plug or the daily mail will have 50 pages on how foreign roombas are just given free docking stations just willy-nilly <laughs> and you'll kind of go hold on a minute yeah, or the third paragraph will just be melted, uh, as Jaws has noted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the words will drip down the page. I think it'd be fun if they start uh, if if one article in every newspaper is written by an AI, and then you get a prize if you can work out which one it is. I think that'd be fun. 
Yeah. If they can do it in a way that we can actually engage with it, I'm all for it. <laughs> I like them. I think robots are cute. <laughs> yeah. Why Meghan Markle circuit boards arting up the scratch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that could be Rod Little. I'm not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> your ad section now because you can't be what you can't buy i don't want a lot for christmas there is just one thing i need i don't care about the presents underneath the christmas tree i just want you for my own more than you could ever know make my wish come true all i want for christmas is half a glass of water no really (laughs) i was brought up buddhist i do not know how to graciously accept a gift (laughs) You like underwear to wear under your clothes So does your mattress That's why this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sexy Sheets They're just novelty lace sheets that barely cover your mattress Yeah (laughs) And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Massive Savings on Jim's Gym and Gymnasium The toxic lockbox of horrifying body shaming and Chad Bro muscle culture Coming to your neighbourhood this month Our deeply insecure trainers want you to have abs so badly for reasons of their own that they won't explain and will shame you into the best shape you've ever been physically while permanently damaging your self-esteem. Jim's Gym and Gymnasium. Try one of our patented group cry and runs and you'll never go back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time for more tech news. This is the news that San Francisco has just put the kibosh on its plan to have killer police robots. Neil, oh, you love to kill a police. Can you unpack this story? <laughs> yeah, so they, they voted to let the, the city's police use robots that can kill. That was originally their idea. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, they thought that this was maybe a bad idea. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know what sort of morality programs the, the, the robots will have. Will, will they have the deep-seated morality of some American police forces? Will the robot disproportionately stop any robot with darker paintwork than its own? I don't know. Uh, I'm not surprised it's happening in California. I knew this would happen. This is what you get when you elect the Terminator as the governor. It was only a matter of time. They have used these robots in other jurisdictions. Dallas was one place where they used it to take out a sniper. And up until you just said it there, until I just checked the news uh, this morning, they were using robots that were going to be allowed to deploy lethal force. Uh, Now, it seems they have backtracked. Um, They did say originally... You have to try, the police were going to be, not encouraged, but it was mandatory to try other de-escalation tactics first, apparently. So, like, you can't be, uh, like, you're in the bus lane, summon the death to 9,000. <laughs> it was, you do have to try and talk somebody out of the bus lane first. Um, and I suppose this is in San Francisco. We will only really know that, that San Francisco has truly accepted a cyborg in this position if the next YMCA tribute has a fella dressed as a construction worker, a Native America a soldier, and then a robot. I mean, I think that's the only way we'll know it'll have 
truly been accepted. It sounds like a disastrous idea, but at least it's a less disastrous idea if it's not allowed to employ lethal force, I think. I mean, it saves on a hen's night. You just have a Roomba showing up with its cock out. Uh, <laughs> my favourite quote from this story is Dr. Catherine Connolly from the group Stop Killer Robots has said that the move is a slippery slope that could distance humans from killing. And I feel like that is a, a quote that needs a lot of unpacking. Yeah, how close are we supposed to be to killing? <laughs> I mean, should we be encouraging people to be getting their hands elbow deep into the blood of their victims? I feel like maybe Stop Killer Robots is one of those groups that has the name that everyone sounds like they can agree with. Like it's yeah. know, pro-life. Who can argue with that? <laughs> you know, I feel like Stop Killer Robots, be killers yourselves, might be the silent <laughs> brackets there. Jaws? I thought Stop Killer Robots sounded like the... It sounds like an organisation that like a group of of kids would come up with as part of like an imaginative play thing of like we're the stop killer robots group and we're gonna stop and it feels like maybe that's how it started and they're all just really appalled that they've ended up having to actually mobilize and do anything they probably didn't think it would happen in their lifetimes they go oh we actually now have to stop some killer robots we never really anticipated this the other thing i thought jumped out at me in this story was the thing that it says only specific designated officers within certain police forces would have the authority to deploy the killer robots which i think is a really dangerous precedent to set in terms of like office hierarchies because i just think it puts a lot of power in in one person's hands you know any kind of office disagreement that goes on if someone hasn't washed up their cup or whatever then it's very easy to become like well i control the killer robot so i guess i'm not washing up my car yeah you're drinking somebody else's coffee and you just hear yeah <laughs> put it back something moving into position behind you step yeah. away from the espresso machine well also i feel like this is like an exaggeration calling them killer robots is kind of is a little bit clickbaity because what they are mm. uh, is suggesting that they could attach explosives to robots that already exist yeah they're just robots that carry bombs right they're, yeah they're, they're just they're just robots that can explode which is less sort of exciting sounding than killer robots because killer robots sound like they have a, a, a mission they might be really nice is this a bbc <laughs> thing though like you know for years robots um diffused bombs for balance do we now need robots that can blow up is that what we're saying about the world i do look forward to the buddy cop movie like like the tango and cash on the lethal weapon like a slovenly old-fashioned detective teams up with a shiny new crime solving robot like you got 24 hours to solve this case r2d2 or you're off the job hand in your badge and your wd-40 there's a part of me I'm from a place where the cops, the guardy, they they have some degree of uh, discretion, which I quite like, you know. About 10 years ago, my bike was robbed from outside my house. And I, I went into the guard station, the the, uh, the police station, and said, listen, my bike's been robbed. And he said, are you insured? And I said, yes. And he said, where was the bike? And I said, it was outside the front of the house. And he said, he just looked at me and went, now, I can't tell you what to say. And I was just like, you total legend. But this is what my report is going to say where your bike was. And my bike apparently was in a specialist lockbox I'd imported from Switzerland in a reinforced garage. It was amazing. And I quite like the idea that, you know, humans can kind of lend you their um, emotional intelligence, shall we say. These robots might be the same, though. Like, for all we know, they might have no idea what they're doing. They might be really kind of empathetic, kind beings that have just had explosives strapped to them. If we kind of took them aside to us and they might go, I had no idea that I was going to end up blowing up that guy. I'm really sorry about it. I'd have wanted to help out as well. 
if I may quote myself from earlier in the episode, the problem with artificial intelligence is that it is trained on humans. And this has happened before in uh, the training of, of robots to, for example, hand down judgments is that you train them on all the previous judgments. Turns out all the previous judgments are f***ing racist, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time for your reviews. As you know, each week our guest editors bring in something to review out of five stars. Jos, what have you brought in for us this week? I wanted to review the experience of um, eating a large portion of chips shortly before going for dinner with your girlfriend's family at a Korean restaurant, uh, is what I wanted to review. (laughs) Can't recommend it. Can't recommend it, it turns out. I felt that it was a lot like the experience of going to see an Avengers movie, in the on paper you look at it and you think I can't really see any reason why I wouldn't enjoy this because I get you know I get to enjoy Spider-Man and Iron Man at the same time uh but in the end you do it and it's very unsatisfying it's very sort of self-indulgent uh it leaves you feeling quite sick and you realize that kind of forcing <laughs> chips which I think would be Iron Man uh into a situation <laughs> ultimately just spoils what could have been quite a nice korean meal which i, I reckon is spider-man and so ultimately you end up feeling um pretty appalled with yourself and and just wishing that you would made different choices i can't recommend it i give it one out of five one out of five stars and martin scorsese doesn't doesn't like you for doing it either no yeah he's got really bad things to say about it yeah. he thinks it's killing cinema yeah yeah he thinks <laughs> chips and korean food together isn't yeah. even isn't even food yeah he's furious Neil, what have you brought in to review? I would like to review the experience of trying a spin class uh, two and a half years after having done your first spin class. And (laughs) let me tell you, uh, 30 minutes into a spin class that you were told lasted 30 minutes, but actually lasts 45 minutes. It's not a pleasant place to be. (laughs) I got off the bike and tried to walk to the door. Now, I don't know if you've seen those, you know, those Serengeti films where a newborn giraffe comes out and can't physically walk well (laughs) somewhere between there and someone who's been recently kneecapped by a paramilitary organization in west belfast somewhere between those two positions was my attempted gate towards the door and i was really annoyed because i was just trying to get myself back into it and uh, there was this really upbeat instructor and he was like yeah everybody everybody come on we're in the tour de france we're in the tour de france and he's looking at me going quite slowly and i'm just like i'm just going to the shop on my bike i'm just is, is there anything that you want <laughs> like fags booze that you want and he's like come on stand in the pedals stand in the pedals we're climbing up the mountain neil why aren't you standing up in the pedals and i'm like because i'm ahead of you i'm on the other side of the mountain i'm on the downhill bit we <laughs> and generally speaking i'm still in bits but i know it was good for me so Probably kind of three stars. I, sh- I should have gone back a little bit easier, I think. Three stars for the spin class. It's all right. It'll all come round again. Now it's time for our history section. This is the news that the French baguette has gotten UNESCO heritage status. But, of course, if it's not made in France, it's just sparkling bread. Jaws, can you unpack this story for us? Oh, I love that. I was, um, this story made me quite angry, actually. I got cross about this because the baguette has been put on the intangible uh, cultural heritage list, which I feel like is is just a basic kind of error of judgment because it turns out, so there's, there's an intangible list and there's a tangible list. And I think the yes. tangible list is for things like uh, uh, cultural sites, you know, world heritage sites, that kind of thing. Uh, the thing that's been put on the list, I think, is the is the culture around baguette making and the sort of the meaning of a baguette 
and what a baguette represents. That's what they've put on there, along with sort of certain Eastern tea making ceremonies and things like that. So it's sort of like types of food or drink that have a culture around them have been put on it. Uh, I just think it's mad. I think that if they have a tangible list and an intangible list and they were sat down and they were discussing the idea of the baguette and where to put it, I, f- I feel like it's one of the most tangible things. <laughs> by by definition, I can touch it and I can eat it. And I think if they now start shouting a lot about the fact that the baguette has been put on the World Heritage list, or if they try to sell me a, a World Heritage winning baguette and I ask for it, and then what they come out and do is they tell me about how great the baguette is and how important <laughs> it is, I'm going to be furious about it. But like if I want to buy one, I want the thing. So I think they need yeah. to go back and I think they need to put it on the other list. I think it's mad. Non-fungible yeah. But tangible, the yeah. baguette. I, I think the baguette has played an essential role in culture, representing uh, Frenchmen in cartoons, and weirdly sticking out of every single collection of bags of shopping in every single cartoon in yep. the history <laughs> of cartoons about people going shopping, whether the character who's going shopping would have bought a baguette or not. I think it's good that they're now uh, also recorded in the in the um, annals of history, except I presume for people who are ethically against the baguette. Uh, Neil? I quite like the idea of, of, of being intangible, though, Jaws, because is there anything more French than, what do you mean by this? And somebody goes, uh. yeah, I think ooh, I, ooh, I quite like that idea. <laughs> no, I was reading about it. No one really knows the real origin of the baguette. Some suggest uh, the bread was ordered by Napoleon because it would be easier for soldiers to carry. Others said it came along later, an easy bread for workers to tear and to share without using a knife. Some say it was invented by pirates who could use it as a wooden leg when it went stale. <laughs> Some people say it was uh, vets used it as a splint for a snake that had broken its back. Nobody really knows. Someone started to make a bread roll and forgot to stop. So forgot to stop, <laughs> exaggerated the size of their bread roll and then wouldn't back down. Most scholars agree that the most likely origin was you it was used as a missile during the Franco Celiac Wars of the Middle Ages. <laughs> and all I know was the people involved in baking were just delighted when the, the decision was announced. I don't know if you saw it on TV, but like the French delegation genuinely waved baguettes in the air, which was amazing, and the, pre- the president <laughs> rejoiced, and somewhere Paul Hollywood just spontaneously ejaculated the dough balls. He just fired them out at just this rate of knots. I, th- I think it's kind of... Um, it's kind of nice. Like a tennis machine. Like a tennis machine. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you have to be reloaded after about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> there's some amazing bits and pieces on this UNESCO intangible cultural heritage list, actually. So there's beekeeping in Slovenia, uh, the oral traditions of calling the camel flocks in Saudi Arabia, and the totting of Londoners when you stand on the wrong side of an escalator. That's one of the very... <laughs> very highest ones up on the list the ability to leave a sectarian comment on any Belfast Telegraph news story in Northern Ireland that's a particular favourite of mine (laughs) in other heritage news there has been a deal um, made finally to return the Elgin marbles or as they're known not Elgin's marbles at all, to Greece. Uh, apparently there, this deal is in an, in an advanced stage of dealing. Uh, Neil, do you think it's going to happen? Do you think they're going to return them? Oh, I am not sure about this. I think the government always used to be worried that if they start returning things like this, they've opened Pandora's box, which apparently is on floor two of the British Museum <laughs> and um, will never be given back. As a non-British person, if you ever walk around the British Museum, it is like basically going to a police auction. You're just walking around going, wonder who owned that? 
wonder if you still on that. <laughs> wonder if you still on that. And uh, you know the Antiques Roadshow. I've always thought that it's probably just shown in Greece, but it's called Crime Watch, and they just get really annoyed. <laughs> Fiona Bruce is basically a war profiteer. <laughs> I would be surprised if if they give it back, but maybe they will. I mean, the deal in the offing is that I think that Greece then lends some serious weighty stuff that won't normally go to the British Museum from their kind of collections and they get the Elgin marbles back. So um, I kind of think that maybe maybe they should just have national treasure transfer windows. I think that would be quite a good idea. Like you'd be sad to see Stonehenge had gone on loan to Abu Dhabi for a year, <laughs> but you'd be very pleased that Mount Rushmore turned up in the local Doncaster Museum. I think that would be kind of cool. <laughs> Swapsies. I mean, this is one of the one of the interesting things is that they sort of things become more valuable if they're nicked and taken overseas. Uh, certainly, I'm in a country at the moment where we do not value our uh, historical heritage at all, and in fact have to constantly convince mining sites not to blow up caves with artifacts from human habitation eighty thousand years ago that literally anywhere else in the world would be considered priceless. Uh, so I just admire the fact that you you guys actually care enough to try and keep them over there on the Europe side of the world. What I really like about it is that one of the main stumbling blocks, I think, with this deal, they've said that it's 90% done, but there's 10% still to be sorted out, which seems, it seems an odd percentage to me because I feel like either the marbles are in Britain or they're in Greece, but like they're 90-10 they're at the moment. But the stumbling block with it is that it's illegal for the British Museum to give them away. Like since we <laughs> stole them, there's been a law passed that means that museums are not allowed to kind of uh, dispossess their collections which just seems the maddest thing to do like the idea that somebody steals something from you like presumably when it was taken it was illegal to steal the Parthenon but since then they've gone <laughs> oh yeah but we've actually now passed a law that means that we can't give you back that thing that we stole we're really sorry about it just, but that's, you are talking you know. to an Australian now you're right um, <laughs> the, the entire occupation of that land is based on a legal principle called terra nullis there's nobody here uh, we're here no no nobody here <laughs> The guy over there. As a lawyer, I would like to be pedantic, but also to clarify that it's even worse than that. Oh, it's God. that the people here aren't using the land good enough oh, like we would. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> at least they made up something for you. We were just next door and convenient for their picnic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to the British Museum. I, I'm guessing you probably both have. There's a couple of things that jumped out at me. One was when you walk around... And there's a part of you that goes, listen, London is just just over the just over the road, really. And you know, I'm seeing something amazing from a different country, or maybe some something ancient from Mesopotamia or something. And you think, well, you know, one, one part of me thinks that I wouldn't get access to see this, you know, except if it was in London. And then you walk around the corner and see something from your own country, and you go, the Robin bastards! That bell, <laughs> that bell should be in a Donegal folklore house it should be allowed to be ignored there i don't know what a folklore house is by the way it should be allowed to be there rather than being ignored here it should be allowed to be ignored where we're from rather than be ignored over here and the other problem with the british museum uh, is that there's an attendant in every room pretty much uh, but their walkie talkies are too loud so you hear this weird mundane staff conversation that ruins the dramatic audio guy that you're listening to like i was walking through and i was listening almost two thousand years ago disaster struck the bustling town of pompeii as the mighty vesuvius unleashed its awesome power debbie did you eat my last kit kat and i just kept hearing all this 
Well, it was there for ages. The sell-by date was 79 AD, so a terrible end. And it just, they kept interrupting each other. It was kind of interesting in one way. Get an earbud, Debbie, get an earbud. Now it's time for our story about FTX, the ongoing tale of the fall of Sam Bankman-Fried and all of the people who lent him money despite uh, his response to somebody who asked if he should have a board, was telling them to go f*** themselves, and then they invested anyway. We still have to follow this tragic tale of fraud. Neil, can you have a look at this story for us? I haven't a clue what is going on in this. I have read <laughs> over and over again. If I've gone astray in my head, this, this young lad, this crypto Harry Potter fella was worth billions through the hedge fund and FTX, which was this second biggest crypto exchange in the world. Yes. And then Binance, this is the bit I like, Binance looked at saving them when it all the shit hit the fan, but looked at their finances and said no to a rescue offer for FTX after two hours of due diligence. Two <laughs> hours. They knew immediately not to touch it. It reminded me of a friend of mine who broke his back years ago weightlifting. And he's all these scars and pins in it. And he went to a physio last year to get to get physio. He took off his top and the physio went, Nope. And then just walked out. <laughs> just walked oh, wow. out. He just washed his hands. He had oil in his hands. And he just washed his hands and walked out. And that's what Binance did. I just don't understand this. It seems to so so FTX created this token which ATT, and they just went, this is worth something. And people went, well, why? And they went, they responded with what your mam said when she was overtired. And because I said so, Be- that's that's why it's worth <laughs> something. It's because I said so. Now, I wouldn't, I loved my mother, but I wouldn't make any decisions based on what she said to me when she was in that particular perilous state if i asked my insurance company why the premium was a million quid and they said because you could be dead in a ditch for all i know (laughs) it's a similar kind of logical fallacy to fall into so i've read it over and over again and i kind of don't understand what's going on i mean you the problem is you think you don't understand uh, what's going on because you think what's going on couldn't be as stupid as you possibly as you think it it is it is as stupid as you think it is that's exactly how stupid it is i mean first of all uh, there's nothing to say that money can't be just because you said so. Money originally was just because the king said so. You know, this is the size of my foot, whatever. I think that the interesting thing about this is Sam Bankman Fried's like talk, speaking tour where he's going around talking to as many people as possible who aren't the people who are seriously wanting to ask him some questions and who have legal authority. Uh, but he's like going on Twitter spaces. He's giving interviews to all and sundry, basically playing this like uh, Betty Boop kind of naive character yeah. of like, I couldn't possibly have known what was going on. The left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, but they were both jerking me off. Like it's truly sort of embarrassing to see the first kind of massive millennial fraudster and his kind his, his self-image polishing you know, therapy speak. Hey guys, my bad. I really like, I need to to take my ADHD medicine. Otherwise I wouldn't have stolen billions of dollars. Like I just, it's so cringy to me, Jos. I love those kind of lies as well. Cause like with all of it, he did this round of interviews where he was saying like, I didn't really know much about that company. And then the more they've investigated it, they found like a dozen different spreadsheets that he updated at least like once every three months over the last two years and all of them contain like detailed breakdowns of every, of what the assets and holdings of those companies were so with all of them he was updating these spreadsheets and I love when people like it's that little boy mindset of what will get me out of this immediate trouble now is if I just go I didn't know anything about it and it's really that kind of 
it's that same mindset of like I, I shat my pants and I hid them in my own wardrobe kind of thing and you think that like <laughs> nobody's going to find it and you he knows at the time that he's doing those interviews he knows full well that anyone can go and check and go I just found this. Well, both the creation of your own cryptocurrency to leverage the debts that you own and yeah. also this speaking tour where he, he seems to think that if he talks enough, yeah, the problems will, go will just go away, are the signs of somebody who just never has had consequences. Like yeah. this is the first time he's come at a situation that he can't bullshit his way out of or invent a cryptocurrency and pay his way out of. I think, you, Jaws, you unwittingly mentioned the, the name of C.S. Lewis's first novel, which was I Shat in My Pants and Hidden <laughs> in My and he just did, <laughs> he didn't classic. feel he could make Aslan a sympathetic enough character. <laughs> yeah, so it didn't he, have the same sort of charm. Yeah, he, he backed away from one. it. Yeah, he backed away from it. But he knew there's something in Aslan, so he kept Aslan and put him in later novels. But the very much defecating <laughs> in the wardrobe was it was a problem. It, it was a it. problem. He was ahead of his time in many ways. Yeah, oh yeah, ahead yeah, 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 yeah. Of his it's time. A classic now. Yeah, the original story, the horse and his boy, both shat in the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The it magician's be, nephew. Based on a novella, number two's in the cupboard, I think. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, <laughs> what a weird advent calendar he designed that year as well. <laughs> it's such a peculiar scenario. And uh, I get what you're saying about money. Money has value. Because, but we have all genuinely agreed, or generally agreed, collectively that money has value. Rather than one dude. It's usually backed either by gold traditionally or it was backed by all of us agreeing not one dude gone look at this i've just decided this is money and what a weird life he's living he was apparently living in a compound with nine other people in the bahamas and they were apparently all in relationships with each other which i mean i don't know how that works like it, it like you you all throw your blockchain into a bowl and then <laughs> <laughs> whoever's blockchain you pick out um, and he's the second biggest donor i think to joe biden's campaign which uh, was to one of the presidential campaigns. Well, okay, so he was very publicly the second biggest donor uh, to Joe Biden's campaign. He was very privately yeah. the fourth biggest donor to the opposing campaign. Oh. Uh, essentially, he was <laughs> putting in a bet both ways so that uh, he could keep keep his hands on on the people who would be regulating against him. Can you imagine it was someone's job to explain blockchain to Joe Biden? That's that's who I quite like. Okay, it's just somebody with a big, just somebody with a big whiteboard saying "money malarkey" and just talking Joe through it. Did you guys notice that he's got no W on his keyboard, Bankman Fried? No. They quote him directly twice of th like responses he made to queries, and the first one he says "working on it," but the W is in a square bracket, which I think means he didn't include a W, but it was implied. And then his other response was like, uh, we'll get back to you. And the W was again in square brackets. So the first time I thought like maybe there was a typo and he meant to type a W and did. But the second time I thought, I don't think this guy has a W on his keyboard. That's how he lost control of the money. He can't surf the World Wide Web. You'd think he'd be able to be like, get me another W. I'm a billionaire. But he's got nothing. He can't even replace it. I like the idea of the Excel spreadsheet you mentioned that if only he hadn't updated his <laughs> software. Because if he'd done that years ago, there would, the little paperclip would pop up oh, yeah. and go, you appear to be using your customer's cash to cover the black hole in your hedge funds. Yeah. Would you like some help with that? To be honest, the 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 multi-way relationships is the best evidence I have for the fact that uh, for the uh, premise that he didn't know what was going on. I don't think it's a fact that he didn't know what was going on. That I think that's the, he should be leaning in on that argument of I was trying to maintain nine simultaneous yeah. relationships <laughs> squared. Of course, I wasn't paying attention to anything. I was constantly getting my dick wet. <laughs> 
that's just a lot of you'd need an excel spreadsheet for that wouldn't you i mean that's yeah. a lot of admin whose night is it tonight again this is evidence that he didn't know what was going on if they don't even know how to keep their genitals separate from other people's partners how are they going to keep their investment separate from their uh, deposits i wish you hadn't ended that sentence with the word deposit <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of today's show. I'm flipping through the ads at the back. Neil, have you got anything to plug? Yes, I do a podcast called Why Would You Tell Me That? where we talk to experts about things that we find interesting. So, so far this season, we've talked about why bats don't get old and they don't get cancer as well. We've talked to a zoologist and a geneticist about that. And on this week's podcast, we have Susie Dent from Countdown and she explains... Uh, why we say zigzag and dilly dally and not dally dilly and zag zig? Oh, that's, good. I, that's very good. I want to know now. It's called ablout reduplication, but you can hear it on our podcast. <laughs> All right. Jos, what have you got to plug? There's a sitcom that myself and Miranda Holmes wrote quite recently that's out on BBC Sounds. Uh, it's called The Dream Factory, and it co-stars Stevie Martin and Desiree Birch and all sorts of amazing people, uh, and it's about the people who put the dreams into your head at night. Uh, so that's out on there. And in January, I'm doing a new sort of experiment live stream thing for Mark Watson's Access Festival, which is being streamed on Next Up. So I think if you go to Next Up and then look up Access Festival, you'll be able to find out a bit more about that. I think that's everything at the moment. I can highly recommend The Dream Factory as oh, well. Thank you it's very much. Uh, great work. If you would like to send in stories to us, tweet us at Hello Gargler's. I would like to say thank you to our roving reporters for this week, which is Martin, who sent in the Police Kill Robot story, and VB, who sent in the UNESCO baguette story. Uh, I'm Alice Fraser. Find me online at, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E on Twitter and Instagram, or patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. That's a one-stop shop for all of my stand-up specials, podcasts, and blogs, as well as my weekly Tea with Alice salons, and also I run some writers' meetings there if you have something that you're working on and would like to work on it with me. This is a Bugle podcast and Alice Fraser production. Your editor is Ped Hunter. Your executive producer is Chris Skinner. I'll talk to you again next week. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.